Welcome to Is It Philosophy? For thousands of years, philosophy has been the domain of the elite, a form of thought placed on a tall pedestal. Well, not anymore. I want to take it back to its roots, simply the love of wisdom. A guest will join me each episode as we try to apply critical thinking to a new topic. At the end, it will be up to you to decide. Is it philosophy? So we are back again for another episode. Today I am joined by Blake Weatherly, and we are going to talk about education. And specifically, is education intentionally being destroyed? Blake, thanks for joining me. I like to give everybody kind of the first take on this. So what are your thoughts on this? What are your what is your instinct on this idea? Well, uh, of course, thank you for having me on the show. This is a topic very near and dear to my heart. I do a lot of comedy. I do a lot of bombastic BSing. But at the root of it, I studied education for a long time. I studied philosophy for a long time. And something that I've seen firsthand, I've seen secondhand, and just a general trend I've noticed is the absolute destruction of the education system in America. A lot of people will throw uh, like caveats on it or, well, this is socioeconomic or this is policy or this is XYZ. People will make excuses tremendously. But what I think is happening and what I believe if you objectively look is you're seeing a huge shift in the intention of education. And as a result, you're seeing a severe drop in what I would call quality education in the classical sense of the word. So really, there's there's two kind of questions there we need to look at, which is classical education versus modern education. And then the second one would be classical education versus pragmatic education, which is what we are, which which is kind of what we exist in now. But even then, that's kind of a misnomer because we want to say like, well, education's just gotten more pragmatic. People need STEM. They need uh, math and science and they need this in order to get a job. Uh, all education now is geared towards obtaining gainful employment. The problem with that is, well, first off, I disagree with that entirely. I don't think education should be uh, centrally rooted in getting a job. I think it should be like in the classical tradition, the Greek tradition, uh, education is rooted in making you a better person. And by making you a better person, it needs to make you a better thinker, someone who has the power of analytics, logic, discernment, and also a, a general sense of kind of a moral coherence to society at large. All of these things are deeply wrapped in education. And um, yeah, that's basically my initial take on it is education as it exists currently is slowly being morphed into a systematic means of conditioning and I would dare say brainwashing. I don't necessarily disagree, but I think we need a definition. I think we need to determine whether we're talking about education or learning. I I find a very big distinction between the two. I I, like, for instance, today I was helping my kids with their homework. A lot of it, especially my oldest daughter is in third grade. A lot of things are are very much repetition. It's memorizing. You're, You're not you're not learning. You're you're memorizing facts. Right. To me, that's that's not education. That's just you can teach a monkey to remember 10 digits. Yeah. We're not teaching our kids to strive to be better, to be more, to to reach further than they currently can. And that is what, for me, that's where education should get you. 
I, I get what you're saying with the the education sort of driving us towards employment, and that's kind of the end goal of it. And I think there's a lot of truth to that, but I think we should be striving for more than even critical thinking. I think we should be striving our kids to to challenge themselves and their ideals and what they're capable of, I guess. That kind of is uh, what I hinted out about talking about like a moral clarity or even then discerning a moral clarity as it defines your character. So one example of this would be essentially the removal of civics from modern education. I don't know how old you are. I just had the privilege of turning 30 and getting my discounted SNS cafeteria for, you know, being an old man now. And I remember taking civics in class and them instilling in us essentially a pride in the country, understanding what civic duties are, what civic virtues are, and things like that. And my understanding now is that slowly civics was morphed into civics and economics. And now we just have economics. And some strange point, civics has largely been removed from the standard curriculum. And I think really what you're pointing at as far as memorization and repetition is another point that I would point towards where it's like we're not teaching kids how to think. We're teaching them how to memorize, to pass standardized tests, to meet quotas, to get grades, to get to college. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're educated. The distinction between learning and education is a good one. And when you when you get into um, kind of like the theory of education, you learn like different people have different methods of learning. Some people learn better with their hands. Some people like like me, for instance, I learn really well with abstract ideas and theories. But then when it comes to their application, I'm not really that great at it. I can tell you the theory behind it. But when you know, I need to actually sit down and do a derivative and calculus, I'm not really that good at it. I think they go hand in hand more than they don't. But I think really they're a symptom of each other, uh, which is your learning styles and how we're teaching kids to learn is a component of the type of education we're giving them, if that makes sense. So as I would, as I will maintain, as education is being destroyed, learning has been destroyed with it, which is how we teach kids to learn or how, you know, young adults. And I think this even goes all the way up to college to a certain extent, which is we teach you to memorize and this is what's going to be on the test and, you know, memorize for it and make sure you cover this and this and cram all of this knowledge into your brain in such a way that it probably won't stick with you a long time. And after you finish this course and successfully complete it, you'll forget most of this, but it's okay because your check already cleared in our bank. And really this is just a paper mill for us to give you a piece of paper so you can get a job. God, I can't, I, I so agree with that. Like I can't even find any place to argue with that. So for me, when I was in school and I went to school up in up North in New York, not New York city, everybody says that it was, it was Buffalo. We had a class, it was social studies. It, we didn't have civics. I think that's the Southern thing. Cause my wife went to school down here and, and she had the same thing. And I don't know the, the drastic difference between the two. I do remember it for us. It wasn't just studying the U S it, it was studying all of the, the culture amongst the world. I don't know how that worked down here. I'm not sure. But I, I, I do think that's an important class, and I, I'm, I'm kind of sad to see it go away because I think the, the problem we run into if we don't have that education on 
the sort of the backgrounds of, of other cultures, of other parts of the world, of other things, is we don't learn from their mistakes. To me, that's part of what, what school should be, right? We should be teaching you to learn from the mistakes of the past. There's a, a great quote that if you don't know the past, you're doomed to repeat it. My understanding of education, I guess my delusional, optimistic view of education is to make you a good thinker. And and when you're a good thinker, you have a way better chance of being a good person, a more well-rounded person, a more rational person. From there, you would have to be looking at other cultures, maybe their forms of government, maybe some other social structures. We do have social studies in the South, but civics was wrapped up into social studies. But social studies usually would end around grade eight. And then once you got into high school, you took like civics and economics. Social studies would do exactly what you said. It was more of a broader kind of introduction to different systems around the world. Okay. And, you know, I remember learning about the caste system in India, thinking this is the most backwards shit that I've ever heard of or seen in my life. And thank God I live in America. But what's important there, the underlying current there is that that's culturing you. You're, you're getting exposure to culture. And this is also a component of a better thinker. The, the responsibility of education, though, in that sense, is when do you introduce yes, kids to different cultures? And the reason I bring this up is because there's been a big push in English education, which is my forte, of kind of making kids read stories that aren't traditionally set in a Western context. So, for instance, like The Kite Runner, H.E.B.'s books, I butcher his name every time, but H.E.B.'s books, like Things Fall Apart, um, in Africa. If you're giving these books to a 6th or a 7th grade student, they don't have the requisite knowledge and understanding to put it into context with what they're reading. And therefore, a lot of the messages that these books contain are lost on them. But at the same time, this is a curriculum-driven force under whatever driving force is irrelevant to what is actually happening. So when I see stuff like that, it really bothers me because I, I don't, I can't imagine a seventh grader reading things fall apart and getting anything from it, at least in the sense of what we would hope they would, which is more culture, being cultured and being more aware to uh, things like that. I think you're right, but I, I think... I think it goes further than that. I I, th I think we need to find a way to introduce these topics to kids in a way that is, they can digest, right? In a way that is accessible to them. Everybody's different, right? Every kid learns differently. Every kid is at a different stage in their education. With With my daughter, last year, she was in second grade. The teacher she had last year, she was great. She, when she finished her schoolwork for the day, she could go do something else. She could go hang out at the library and, and read every book she could get her hands on, whatever she wanted to do. And, and my daughter, she's super smart. She is just started third grade. She's already done with the, her entire third grade year's worth of schoolwork. Damn. It's done. She could already move on to fourth grade, but her teacher now won't allow her to, to do anything else, and she's getting bored. Yep. And she's getting rambunctious and she's not wanting to pay attention. And yeah, she wants to talk. Yeah. Exactly. And and so that's why my and my wife and I, because she started showing an interest in, in Greek mythology. So we've bought her several books geared towards her age, because obviously I don't want to introduce her to all of those topics, because there's some really uh not age appropriate things for a third grader in Greek mythology. Agreed. But we bought her some books on it that that will kind of introduce her to it, get her a better understanding of it. And I think that's kind of where 
I think that's kind of what you're talking about when you're talking about the educational system failing is we're not challenging kids who want to be challenged. We've put everybody in this cookie cutter pigeonhole. You have to fit in this square hole or we'll make you fit in this square hole. It's the over curriculum. The curriculum has been built in such a way to facilitate all types and all modes of learning. And in doing that, you have people that it fails. I think your daughter would be an example of that. I was an example of that in school. I was supposed to skip third grade, but my mom wouldn't let me. She didn't want me to uh, move up and be with older kids because she just didn't think it would be good for me socially. But yeah, I was the same way. Like All of my work bored me. I did not want to do anything in class because I thought it was all just rudimentary dumb. And uh, I acted out, would get kicked out of class and have to go sit with the principal. And But, you know, it's funny, like I'd go sit with the principal and I would talk to him about like sixth grade stuff. And he would actually kind of like teach me <laughs> like stuff that was interesting. But that is an issue where with the with the curriculum and kind of building this kind of center status quo, for education, you get outliers, you get people that excel beyond that for whatever reason. By the time I got to high school, I wasn't jumping ahead of my peers. But in the early years, yeah, I, I was way ahead of the second graders in my class, but there was no system in place for me. There was no system in place to take advantage of that to help boost my education. They were all just check boxes that needed to be checked off. And I had already checked them off and I was stuck for the duration it took to complete the year. And that's one issue of education of many. But the real thing I wanted to talk about is the destruction of education, which is this shift from education for the sake of education to education for the sake of application, which is like I, I already said, traditional education versus prag pragmatism which is really what a lot of this has come down to. It's this pragmatic outlook on like what is the purpose of education? Well, it's for application. I don't necessarily disagree with that entirely, but I think that should be more specialized. The problem I have is there are kids in high school that have the critical thinking skills of a lava lamp. They can't discern certain things like they don't have the ability like for instance especially like if you take into account the the recent not exclusively recent but like the polarization of politics in america and uh, the 24 7 news cycle the outrage cycle you have people falling into that trap because they can't understand that what they're reading is engineered to elicit emotional response from them like they they don't have the reading comprehension the analytical skills to understand what's being done to them that they're being taken advantage of emotionally because they don't have the cognitive tools to know the difference. That's one thing that bothers me deeply. Would you say then that we're, we're lacking sort of a Socratic approach to school where, where Socrates' approach to, to philosophy was to have somebody ask him a question or to hear a statement and then break that statement down to the point where that person would contradict themselves and then they would essentially either walk away hating his ass forever or have learned something and changed their opinion and had found a different way of thinking. Yeah, I mean, in sentential logic, it's called proof by contradiction. And yes, that's deeply rooted in the Socratic method. And I mean, and that's 
now what we're getting into is the second, one of the second points I wanted to cover, which is the complete and utter removal of philosophy. So everything we, everything we've been talking about, at least insofar as some of the failures of the education system in making people better thinkers, like I know the quadratic formula. I don't know the first 10 amendments to the constitution because one of those things was drilled into my head to the point that I will never forget it and has zero application in my life. I will never use the quadratic formula ever in my life, but it probably would be somewhat beneficial to me to know the first 10, 15, I don't know, all 27 amendments to the constitution, seeing as how it directly affects my life and my sovereignty as a citizen of the United States. The issue here is philosophy has been almost entirely removed from education, primary education at least. Back in the day when you got into about, I'd say probably like the 10th, 11th, maybe 12th grade, you would take like an introduction to philosophy. And because you're at the age where they can start throwing you some of the greatest thinkers and giving you kind of a rudimentary understanding and kind of blow your mind open for a little bit. It's good because uh, then they, you know, uh, along with that comes some easy logic teaching you like how to look at things logically, break things down. Basically, the the kind of a, a breakdown of Western analytics, so to speak, not like Jacques Derrida, like deconstruction necessarily, but just analytics. Like, how can I analyze this? How can I break it apart? How can I break it into sections? in order to understand the sections and then correlate them from a logical understanding to see if they're sound or valid. Everything I just said, if you say that to a 10th grader, they think I'm speaking another language. They don't understand this. And then it it goes a step further, too, because so now we've removed philosophy from high school for all intents and purposes. The only philosophy course I was able to take in high school was called History of the Western World, and it was an elective course. And it wasn't actually supposed to be a philosophy course, but the man who taught it, his name was Don McMartin, the man that taught it actually made the course entirely about philosophy uh, because he felt like kids needed to know this stuff. An 11th grader needs to know about, um, you know, Rene Descartes' meditations. They need to know about Plato and Socrates. I mean, he didn't make us go through the Republic but he broke down a lot of really important and fundamental ideas and building blocks of Western philosophy that would later go on and be the basis with which our entire country was founded on. That was important, but that does a lot of that doesn't exist anymore. Some of the few things you'll get now is you'll get like a theory of knowledge course, which is essentially epistemology and metaphysics. And um, I don't want to make fun of that because I know you had Dylan on the show and Dylan will probably be listening to this one. But, you know, that uh, epistemology and metaphysics for a 16 or 17 year old, I really don't think they could give less of a shit about that. But then again, later on, it is important. It's important to understand the world, to understand and interpret reality and to have um, some critical thought with how all that works. A life unreflected is a life wasted. If you're not thinking about things in an abstract sense, you're not thinking about things at all. And then uh, the the last point I want to end that on is so we've effectively removed all, I I hate to say practical philosophy, because a lot of people would say philosophy in of itself is not practical. But then we move into college, right? And you're a freshman in college. And you're what is if your major isn't philosophy, like mine was, you won't have to take philosophy as a core class. So so you're a freshman in college, and you're taking biology 101, uh, history to the industrial period. Um, you're taking probably, 
I don't know, algebra two or some math class. And for your fourth class, you get to pick an elective. Are you going to pick introduction to philosophy or are you going to pick outdoor sports? Obviously, if I'm, I'm a college student, I'm taking outdoor sports every time. Right. So so now philosophy isn't even a core class in college. It's an elective unless you're majoring in it, which no one is. So here what we're seeing is we're, we're seeing effectively the removal of philosophy from high school. And now we're seeing the practical removal of it from college. And we're wondering why everyone seems to be getting dumber. But isn't that, and not to play conspiracy theorist here, but isn't that kind of what the government and society wants, though? If, if you've got people who are capable of critical thought, if you've got people who seek out wisdom for the sheer joy of it, those people are then going to be much more difficult to put into place as the cog that they need to be in society. Well, so now you've gotten to the one key word in the original question posed at the beginning of the show. Is education being intentionally destroyed? I say yes, it mm-hmm. is. And I say yes for the reasons you mentioned. Uh, an educated person in the, in the sense that we're talking about educated, a, a well-versed, multicultural, or at least culturally adept person of higher understanding is a threat to the complacency of the system. Because they will see it and they will see through the dumb shit and immediately understand that I am being lied to. I am being misled. This is not true. This is a this is an emotional appeal to authority. They'll start just listing off the logical fallacies involved with the things that are being said to them. And yeah, that's not a good person to have if you kind of want to keep the ship moving forward. Another issue, too, is I think what you're seeing is a segregation in education, which is people with like really high critical thinking skills and really firm grasps of comprehension and understanding are it's like in the old days where the wealthy and elite people did not go to public school. They either went to a charter school or a private school or something like that, where they were taught these things, almost in like a Machiavellian sense of education. Like the prince's education was through private tutors who taught him kind of like the the Thrasymachus might makes right and power at all costs. Power is worth more than money. And you you must consolidate and keep power at all costs. And then, you know, we get to public education for the paupers, and we're being taught to be sheep intellectually. Is that a conspiracy? Probably. I think it's the case. I I honestly think it's the case. And the reason I think that's the case is I think that that's been evident throughout history, where you have a segregation in education based on basically socioeconomic disposition. I think that still exists today with elite private schools and elite charter schools that cost, you know, $100,000 a year to send your kid to. Well, that's going to keep out the riffraff, isn't it? I can't, my mom couldn't afford to send me to that school. They'll, They'll throw their kids there and those kids graduate that school and they have an edge on the rest of the people in the world. They have an edge on the people they would seek to rule, so to speak, that they, you know, these people move into positions of power and become lawyers, politicians, judges, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, people that actually impact society at large. And if you go back and look, I would say at least eight times out of 10, their education pedigree is radically different from the average American. And in that separation, I think is something awfully peculiar 
and I would dare say sinister. So I, I think I heard you say it earlier that, and I kind of agree with it, that agree with this, that, that college is basically just a, a factory to pump out pieces of paper to people to send them out into the world. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. But I think the other problem that I see with that, and I'm going to kind of challenge your premise here for a moment, is shouldn't we be, instead of relying on colleges and high schools and middle schools and these things, these places to inspire us to learn and to question and to achieve critical thinking, isn't that something that should be done at home? Shouldn't we as parents be looking at our kids and teaching them to to question everything, to look beyond the obvious answer. And by that point, then, given we live in an amazing age of information where I can go to, to Google and find everything imaginable, right? It wasn't till I was out of school for 10 years before I started picking up books on psychology and philosophy and things like that and really challenging my mind and, and wanting to learn this stuff because it's it's fascinating to me now. Isn't it better to to do it that course? Granted, you don't get that that piece of paper that says you worked for four, six, eight years, whatever, to achieve that. But it becomes then very personalized. You get to learn the information you're passionate about. And that passion then drives even more striving for that knowledge and that education? Uh, That's a very good question. I want to break it down into three parts. The first problem I have is you said inspire. Like how, how should we, you know, shouldn't our parents inspire us to seek out these higher forms of education? The problem I have with that is why should you have to be inspired to be a better thinker? It's only been in the past 200 years that you needed inspiration to be a better thinker, to study logic, to seek out higher forms of thought. For millennia before then, a thousand years at least, it was just a standard teaching practice that you would teach kids logic and higher thinking. So th- that would be my first problem is like, why do we have to be inspired to be a better thinker? It should be standard. If we want to talk about standardization and curriculum, one of those standards should be being a better thinker. The next thing is um, the the parents themselves teaching this. My my mom was not able to teach me these things. And I, I'm not saying she was a dumb woman by any stretch of the imagination, but she went through the same kind of cycle of uh, mediocre education that I went through. She specialized in uh, forestry when she was in college. She could teach me every tree Every fern, every bush, the seasonal changes and how they affect certain plant life. She she could not teach me Immanuel Kant's groundwork for metaphysics. She couldn't teach me David Hume's inquiry to under, human understanding. Oh, I had to I had to name drop Hume for Dylan, by the way. <laughs> and then the last thing I want to point at is do you think it's a coincidence that it was ten years after you finished your higher education that you started seeking out philosophy, psychology, and whatnot. Like, do you think that's weird? Or do you think what it is, is that to a certain extent, you felt like there was a void in your psyche, a void in your soul, if we're going to use the Greek tradition of the word, where you wanted more truth, you wanted to understand the world better, and you sought it out through books. Oh, oh no, I, I totally think there there was a void there and there was something that kept calling me to to look into this and, and find a deeper a deeper meaning, a deeper purpose in everything. Totally. 
that my next question is, do you not think that same void exists in our kids in school? Yes, wholeheartedly. Then why are we filling it with nonsense? Why are we filling it with um, intro to um, shit dance theory? Like when I when I look, um, I have a, a cousin of mine that's a teacher. Every now and again, I'll go hang out with her and I'll ask her about some of the elective courses and stuff. She told me the other day that they axed their creative writing program. They used to have an elective course for creative writing. I always thought that was great. And that would actually be a dream job of mine just to teach kids creative writing because creative writing is a conduit to higher forms of thought. creativity in general because i mean abstract thinking creativity all of what john stuart mill would call the higher pleasures are all connected Mm -hmm. and and when you have a better understanding of them more things are beautiful to you like there's you can get more pleasure and joy out of things when you understand the intricacies of the thought behind them as opposed to the thing in of itself and this is why museums are closing this is why by and large, kind of our new generation coming up doesn't really care about a lot of the things we used to. Like, um, Matt, have you ever been to like a symphony and listened to them do like a rendition of Bach or Beethoven or or something like that? Not personally. I'd love to go to one firsthand, but I listen to to those on MP3 and my, my, my iPhone all the time. I love that kind of stuff. So check this out. In the I want to say in the 30s to the 50s, 60% of America had basically passes, at least in the cities where symphonies would play, had yearly passes to go see them. It was a cultural event. They would all go and see a symphony play. Now it's less than 3%, I think, and it's and it's exclusive to the New York, LA, things like that. But used to be you could go to like the major city in your state and you could see a symphony play some of the greatest compositions the world has ever known. If I were to take one of the greatest compositions ever known, throw it over my Bluetooth speaker and play it to a 15 year old, he would probably cuss at me, say this is stupid and then throw on, I don't know, some remedial trash. But what I'm getting at is he has no appreciation for the music because he can't begin to understand it. The reason he can't begin to understand it is because our education system has failed. I don't think it's a matter of taste. I, th- I honestly don't think it's a matter of taste. I think it's a matter of education, exposure, and um, understanding, which I think all three are severely lacking in education. And I think this is a cycle. It's a cycle of intellectual mediocrity. Which to circle back to your last question, which is like, why can't this be the parent's responsibility? Among a myriad of reasons, some parents don't have the ability to teach it. Not everyone can teach these things. I think that was my miswording. I I don't necessarily think that it's something we should be taught by our parents, but I think there's a generation, and, and my generation is wholeheartedly to blame for that. I'm almost 40. Of, of laziness and of, of coming home from work and vegging in front of the TV and putting on the football game or baseball game or basketball game or whatever. And just what we call turning our minds off because it's too much for the day. And kids see that today. It becomes, oh, well, that's the norm versus like my kids walk into my office where I'm sitting right now and I have got stacks and stacks and stacks of books just everywhere. 
And it has inspired my kids to want to read and to want to be more. They aren't, I'm not teaching them any of this stuff. My daughter came to me and talking to me about the Greek gods and, and Greek myths and stuff. So we bought her some books. That to me is, is where the parents are, are failing. When your kid comes to you and goes, I heard this great song by this, this guy named Beethoven. I really want to learn more about him. Instead of going, great, son, let's go to the library or let's go to the bookstore or let's go to even Google. Yeah. And find some stuff for you to read about this person. We're going, okay, great. Good for you. Hey, go, go away. I'm, I'm watching this football game. And I think that that kind of is more what I meant by that is oh, it's, yeah. school is there to teach you ABC one, two, three, two plus two is four right now. Yeah, I don't think that's the way it was before, I, I, but I think those higher endeavors, those things that are designed to really challenge the mind and really get the brain working and really give you those passions later in life are something that's got to come from home. And if it doesn't come from home, then it's got to come from maybe a, a teacher who showed a special interest in you or, or saw something there in you that they could grab a hold of and go, hey, come come check this out. You might enjoy this. But we're not we're not getting that. Exactly. That hits really home for me because the, the man whose name I say with reverence, uh, Don McMartin, was the man that I took history of the Western world with. And he was a teacher I'd never had before, never met him. And he inspired me to pursue philosophy, pursue liberal arts in the classical sense, pursue English and literature. And you need that. My mom was a great role model and taught me to pursue the things I love, even insofar as studying philosophy at a major university while incruing tremendous amounts of debt. And she was perfectly okay with it. The problem ultimately, I think, is that higher modes of thinking necessitate an instructor. And I mean, this goes all the way back to Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, Epicurus, St. Augustine, St. Aquinas, St. Anselm. All these people were instructors and had students and their students went on to have students. There's almost a funny oral tradition to it. But the, the reality of it is that if you were to simply pick up a book of philosophy, without already being having a, a foundation laid for it, you won't understand it, or it'll be too dense for you to understand. I mean, that's not always the case, but I think by and large, and I think this is almost synonymous with the, the, tr the Western tradition, is that you need an instructor. You need someone who knows the material to teach it to you, to help guide you through it, basically to do you know, as you mentioned earlier, the Socratic method. So it's like, okay, you read this. Well, I'm going to ask you questions about it. And I'm going to make your mind bend over backwards into a pretzel, break, come back together. And at the end, you can go home and think about it before you come back to class the next day. And because that instructor is there to challenge you, to make you think about it, to ask you, because, you know, you, you can, there's plenty of, of ways to misinterpret certain forms of philosophy. But when you, when you have that instructor as your guide, he can ask you questions and challenge your perspective on the highly meta things you're reading. I think there needs to be a happy balance. If we can come to somewhere in the middle, there needs to be a happy balance where parents should obviously encourage this, but you also need someone well-versed in it to help teach it to you. Because without that person, it's so much harder. I would say in some cases, impossibly hard. Like, I wouldn't have been able to understand Nietzsche or Immanuel Kant if I hadn't have already had three great professors lay the foundation 
of my understanding of philosophy. Without that, I would have gotten bored. I would have given up. I think really it's a happy medium between the two. I think you need both. I won't disagree with that, but I will challenge the idea that it's necessary because I think if we are willing to acknowledge our own shortfalls, if we're willing to realize the gaps and the holes in our understanding, I think we're capable as people, as intelligent creatures to go, okay, I need to get more information on this topic, or I need to to gravitate more towards this idea. And and maybe I'm weird, and I wholeheartedly think I have a certain personality defect that leads me to this. But that was kind of how I because I, I started my journey actually in my personal journey in psychology. I love psychology. I grabbed every single book I could get a hold of on psychology, from cognitive behavioral therapy to to everything. I mean, it, it didn't matter. And I read it all. Didn't understand some of it at first, but I, I read it all and digested it all. I've got books by, I mean, most of the the great psychologists of the late 20th century. And I think there's a certain level of understanding that I think we can get by doing it that way, that to me anyway, it, it outweighs what we can be be taught. And and may, there might be gaps and holes and things that I still don't understand and that we may not understand by trying to do it that way. But I also think there's a level of pride we can take in that and knowing that I've, I've gained this knowledge on my own or through study on my own. And it, it drives us even further to to challenge even more, to learn even more, to grab more books, to grab more Google searches, yeah, whatever, right? To to really, really drive this information home. And and I think in that way, we do become better critical thinkers. We do become better philosophers, right? I wholeheartedly that that's one of the things on my website is I wholeheartedly believe that everybody that joins me on this show is bringing philosophy into the modern day. I started this show as not wanting to be philosophical and wanting to stay away from philosophy in its modern or in its traditional sense, but I think it has to be done. I think we, as you said and I agree with you, we're we're losing that ability for critical thinking, that ability to challenge our own thoughts. I think what you said isn't mutually exclusive. I think you can take pride in, you know, kind of going your own way and getting the books and doing the research yourself. But I would just say, I think having an instructor, a professor, a tutor, someone that can help you is tremendously valuable asset. And the only reason I keep harping on that is because it's been completely removed for all intents and purposes from standard modes of education. That person doesn't exist anymore, at least not in a high school setting. In a college setting, you can absolutely find them there. You can find their TA because uh, they're underfunded and their resources are stretched thin. So you probably won't really get to talk to them in any intimate setting. But philosophy is intimate in its own right. We're seeing philosophy, uh, entire schools of philosophy uh, at our universities being cut. They can't afford to keep the people on. They're being downsized. I can only really speak from when I was at the University of Georgia in 2007 and eight. I think I was the only philosophy major in all of my philosophy classes. The rest of them were pre-law, international affairs, and in my higher logic courses, they were computer programmers. 
that's that's just it was a means they were taking the classes as a means of pursuing xyz but none of them were actually philosophy majors that's unique but that's also that's the way it's going now and as a result these ethics is starting to become essentially a class for law students logic and critical thinking is starting to become a class for you know pre-law and computer programming philosophy in itself as a discipline is being absorbed into the other disciplines in a fragmented way to suit like we talked about the end means which is a piece of paper to get a job one thing i want to touch on before we go and i think it's this is something very important is where does somebody who's got that major in philosophy where do they sort of fit in to a modern working environment Typically, in my experience, most philosophy majors either end up teaching philosophy, they become a barista at Starbucks, or they move into human resources a lot of times. Some of them actually go on and have like really lucrative and successful careers in like think tanks. Some of them move into advertising because, of course, they'll get very well versed in philosophy. And then, like you pointed out, they'll move towards psychology. And then they'll move towards sociology. And then now they have this very strong umbrella of human understanding, critical thinking, and things like that. And they apply that towards meta issues like, well, how do we market this? How do we express this? A lot of them move into writing. But I think by and large, most philosophy majors go into teaching because it's something inherent in the discipline. It's something inherent in the tradition of philosophy in general which is once you reach a certain level of understanding in philosophy, you feel almost this weird duty to teach other people. It's strange, but it's definitely there. I'm really glad you answered it that way, because that to me is kind of the the crux of this whole argument and this whole conversation is it is being destroyed because of the fact that, that we don't have the critical thinkers, the philosophers like we used to, who you could go to the, the coffee shop and, and sit down and debate the whatever the philosophical hot point of the time period was, that's gone away. And even more so, it, it is almost a way of offending somebody to want to bring up this idea of challenging their thought. If, if somebody today tried to pull a Socrates, they'd be strung up or in jail or, or whatever, because you can't challenge my beliefs, my thought processes. You oh, can't yeah. make me question my own beliefs. What's wrong with you? You're a terrible human being. I'm glad you brought that up too, because that is also another reason why philosophy is so important, even in the modern era. Like regardless of the metaphysical mumbo jumbo shots at Dylan, regardless of metaphysics and theory of knowledge and all these strange esoteric forms of philosophy, there are way more practical forms of philosophy dealing with critical thinking, logic, argumentation, debate, informal logic that are necessary to form cogent opinions, coherent opinions, express them, and then have them expressed back to you without getting angry. And that's gone. It's damn near evaporated from society. That's the main reason a lot of times I just have to shut up or just keep my thoughts to myself. Because when I hear some people talk, you know, I go to bars a lot. And at a bar, when you're six whiskeys deep, everyone becomes a philosopher. I didn't know if you knew that, but not all of them can take it. They can dish it out, but they can't take it. So the second you start challenging and kind of applying the Socratic method 
to them, they get upset. Being upset in intellectual discourse is the weakest, most ineffectual, and it's it's such a huge indicator of both your education and your character. And I don't know where the one starts and the other stops, but I will say I have seen it firsthand. I could open up Twitter right now on my computer and show you that we see this every day in society where people are unable to talk about important intellectual things without getting upset. And if you have a strong background, that's like all these shots I've taken at Dylan over metaphysics and theory of knowledge. Me and him will hop in Discord and we'll joke and talk about it. He's not going to be upset at me because he is a well-educated, highly intelligent person. But that's because of his education and also because of his character. But what came first, the chicken or the egg? Your character is improved through your education, through your higher learning, through your exposure to that. Now we've come full circle to where I was talking about how it's important for character building. It's important for the soul. It's important a good thinker has a higher chance of becoming a good person. And yeah, that's crucial. And it's something that is almost entirely gone today. I think a good place for us to sort of wrap this up and and something that's important to put out there for everybody is what is something that I can do right now if I'm listening to this, if I'm inspired to now want to challenge my critical thinking or or look into philosophy or or become a a lover of knowledge and wisdom. What is something I can do right now as we wrap this up to drive myself towards that goal? What would you recommend? The first start, and this is this is almost universally, this is philosophy 101. You need to pick up the Discourse on Method by Rene Descartes. It is one of the earliest, well, it's not the earliest, but it's one of the earliest kind of modern sense of early foundations of philosophy. It talks about reason, seeking truth, truth in science. It's, 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 it's everything. So, so Rene Descartes was a French philosopher. He wrote the Discourse on Method. It is the groundwork for which, and I mean, some people would disagree with me, but it is a very solid groundwork to expand your thinking. He asks very hard questions. He tries to answer them too, but you might not be satisfied with his answers. And that's okay because there are hundreds of philosophers that responded to him because he started an important dialogue within the philosophical community. And that's what all this is about. So I would say start with Rene Descartes and the discourse on method. That's the easiest entry point. It's pretty easy to read. And if you have any trouble understanding some of the more abstract things he talks about, punch it into YouTube and get someone on there to help talk to you about it. And if you don't have anyone in your life that you can come to about it, punch it into YouTube. I mean, it, it's highly talked about. It's highly revered. I'm going to throw this out there right now to you and to Dylan, if he does happen to be listening. I'm picking that book up and we are going to have a conversation on it. I'm really intrigued now and y'all are going to blow my mind and mess me up and twist me in a knot. And that's cool. I want that. I'm totally on board for that. Uh, D- Dylan will be like, I- Dylan's like, what is this? A freshman class at my college? I'm not talking about the discourse on method, uh, but, but no, I-, I bet Dylan would love to come on here and uh, make me look stupid for myself to kind of put my spin on it. Cause I have to, cause it's my show. I wholeheartedly think that you're right. I think that's kind of the, the number one step. And I also think we need to to personally, my personal take on it after being on Facebook for too long, y'all got to get over yourselves. I mean, that's kind of the, the number one thing. Stop 
with this whole offense if somebody disagrees with you. You're not going to die. Guarantee you will survive if somebody disagrees with you. And that disagreement is going to then further your knowledge, further your education, further your want to learn. So that that's kind of my take on it. That's kind of where I want I would end it. Be open. Humility. Humility. And you know, humility is a large platform in philosophy. You don't know as much as you think you do. Oh yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I'm I'm finding that out a little bit too quickly as I'm diving into more and more philosophy. So, Blake, before we go, I want to give you an opportunity to share with everybody how they can get a hold of you if they want to pick your brain for more knowledge, how they can get you. And I also know you have a, a podcast. So would you share that with everybody? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a podcast that is rated E for explicit. It is exceptionally adult content oriented, and I swear a lot on it. It is called the Tap Snaps Podcast. It's me and two of my buddies. We have a, a small studio here in Macon, Georgia. We write, produce, but we also do podcasts. You can reach us on Twitter at TapSnapsPC. You can reach us on Instagram at TapSnapsPodcast. And you can reach us on Facebook at TapSnaps3. I run most of our social media. So if you just want to hit me up on there and tell me I'm dumb and talk about philosophy, I am more than happy to do that. And uh, yeah. Awesome. If Dylan is listening. I'm dead set on, on doing that. I'm going to pick that book up probably tonight if I can convince my wife to let me spend the money. I want to do a debate on here, maybe as our season finale, maybe a season three premiere. I don't know which. I want to do that. Putting it out there now for everybody to hear, Dylan and Blake are coming back and we're going to do that. That sounds fun. I was going to say Dylan's going to crush me because he is way more educated and intelligent than I am. But I will at least make jokes as I'm getting crushed and I will go out with humility and candor <laughs> that's all you can ask for sometimes right thanks for having me on the show matt it's been a lot of fun i appreciate you coming out and doing this with me thank you okay so there it is is it philosophy go to our website at www.isitphilosophy.com and leave us a comment we'd love to hear from you on twitter and facebook as well help us grow by going onto itunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe and take a moment and leave a review until next time question everything seek your truth and don't be afraid to speak your truth.